Well, good morning, Lighthouse Church. I really miss you. Um, And on this Memorial Day, I want to say thank you to those of you, uh, not only for those who have paid the ultimate price for our freedoms, but also for those who are on the front lines right now of this current battle, those of you who put your safety, um, who who are willing to place yourself into danger to face day after day after day, uh, being infected yourself, not only uh, nurses and doctors, but also those of you who are working to provide some of those essential jobs. And I just, I want to start this morning by kind of acknowledging the elephant in the room. And that is that on Friday, our president declared churches to be essential uh, businesses or to be essential for our well-being. And we're grateful for that vote of confidence. We recognize that. But we also just want to mention that we also recognize that the building I'm sitting in isn't the church. And so although I understand what he is saying is we need the opportunity, the right to be able to gather. The church has never closed, not for a moment. Yes, we have not been able to gather here, but we have been able to to be the church in our city for the last two and a half months. And it has been so fun to see the ways that the church is ministering. In fact, in a little bit, I'm going to have my friend Ian Stevenson, the head of Trellis, join me up here. And we're going to talk a little bit about how the church has been being the church, but also what it looks like moving forward. However, before we get there, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about the heart behind how we plan to move forward. Because I know that there are some right now, even though our president has said that churches are essential and that gathering is a right that we can't be denied, We still live in a state where our governor has not yet currently given us permission to do so. We live in a state where there's four phases to opening. Phase three is when church gatherings of larger sizes can be implemented, and we're currently in phase two. So according to the most up-to-date decisions from our governor and reiterated by our mayor, we do not have the right to gather yet. But... We're anticipating on Monday or Tuesday that he will come out with further guidelines of what that will look like. We'll know a whole lot more then. And I understand that there are some churches and even some within our own church who are saying, hey, it doesn't matter what our governor says. If we have the right to meet, we have the right to meet. It's a God-given right and we're not going to stop doing it. And I understand that because as Americans, our country was founded on this right to worship. Right? The pilgrims came to this country seeking permission or seeking the ability to worship without a king declaring to them how they could worship. Furthermore, the very first amendment of our constitution gives us the right to exp- for religious expression. And there's many who feel like that is being trampled on. However, I simply want to remind us that yes, We live in America, and yes, we have rights. And there's a lot of, I understand all of the arguments for meeting, but I want to remind us that we are not, first and foremost, citizens of America. As Christ followers, we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God, and that is another conversation altogether. Because when we said yes to Jesus Christ, we laid down our freedoms to make decisions only for ourselves. We laid, the, laid down the right to freedom of speech. Now all we have the right is to say, 
what is honoring, what is helpful for building up, those are the things that we can say. We can't just say anything that we want as a follower of Jesus Christ. And we've also said, Jesus, my life is yours. I want to be your ambassador. So show me how I can represent you into the world that I find myself in. And so we're not free to live any way that we want. And this morning, I want to acknowledge that we need to grapple with how are we going to approach this conversation. I want to encourage you to approach it as a Christ follower. You see, eat all the way from the very beginning of the Bible and all throughout Scripture, there is this ongoing discussion of what it means to be a follower of God, what it means to be one of his people. Right there in the beginning of Genesis, we are told that mankind was created in God's image to be his ambassadors, to be his stewards over creation, to reflect his heart into the world that he'd made. It's his, we are his, and we reflect him. But of course, sin messes that up. And so later on, God chose a handful of people, created the nation of Israel. And he said, you guys are going to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, declaring to the world what I'm like. So the way that you live matters. And he gave them a set of principles and rules. We call them the Mosaic laws. And those laws were intended to help shape these people to better reflect his heart. Unfortunately, the people of Israel didn't reflect his heart perfectly. If anything, what they did is they took his blessings and they said, these blessings are for us. We are more special than the other people. And so it's all about our comfort and what we want. And oftentimes they forgot about God. Even when they held on to the law, they still missed the heart of what was behind the law. And so eventually God had to send his son Jesus into the world to represent his heart, to begin to strip away all of the ways that we had misunderstood and misrepresented him. And he came and modeled for us what it means to love sacrificially, to lay down his life for others, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And he called those who were going to follow him to do the same, to live as he did. When we call ourselves Christ followers or Christians, It simply means we're a little Christ, that our lives begin to reflect his life. So what are we called to do? How do we reflect his life, specifically when it comes to those who are in authority over us that we don't necessarily agree with their rulings? We don't necessarily think that they have our best interest in mind, or we may even think that perhaps they're making decisions that are more political Uh, politically motivated in nature as opposed to what is actually best for us. Well, Scripture once again is very clear on that. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 13. We're going to look at just a couple of passages this morning that set up the heart of God for his people living in a world that's fallen, living in a world where people are watching how we live our lives. You're, You're turning to Romans 13, but Let me just give a little bit of context to what I'm about to read. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercy that God has had on you, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. Continue to renew your mind through prayer, through Bible study, through through spending time in his word that that reveals his heart so that we can begin to better know his will for us. 
He says towards the end of chapter 12, don't repay evil for evil, but be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Boy, wouldn't that be nice if we could? I want to. And we're trying to navigate how do we live at peace with everyone when it doesn't seem like anyone can get along or that anybody agrees. But in the continuation of this line of reasoning, Paul says this now in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 13, verse 1. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. And everyone, you, me, all of us, be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, or for those who do... Do you want to be free from fear from the one in authority? Then do what's right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For the rulers don't bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants. Agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore... It is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Paul's point, and he'll go on to talk about how we should make decisions based upon loving our neighbor. Love does no harm to our neighbor. That's in the very same flow of conversation. But his point here is that those who are in authority over us, those in government, are placed there by God. Now you might say, hold on, I didn't vote for that person. That's not my president, or that's not my governor, or that's not my mayor, or those aren't my city council members, because I didn't choose them. And be that as it may, they find themselves in that role. And Paul would insinuate that they are placed there. He allows them to be there. And we are called by him to submit to them in order to preserve our witness. Because people's eyes are on us. Now, one more place I want you to turn. Go to the right, almost to the end of the Bible, to 1 Peter chapter 2. Because one of Jesus' closest disciples, Peter, who was one of the fathers of the early church, also wrote to a people who found themselves in a world that didn't bend a knee to Jesus Christ, surrounded by people who were making decisions that didn't reflect their values. And he says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 9. He points to these men and women who are living in a broken, sin-scarred world. And he said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, where does that sound familiar? Those are the same words that God used to describe the nation of Israel. And Peter is saying, guys, if you have Christ in your heart, if you are a follower of his, you now have inherited the same call to be his representatives. He continues in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, people living in a land that is not your home. You're part of another kingdom, even though you live in the kingdom of America. 
Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Abstain. Give up the right to yell at the person who speaks ill of you on social media. Forgo the right to disobey because you have a right as an American citizen. Abstain from those sinful desires. Live such good lives amongst the unbelieving world that although they accuse you of doing wrong, although they accuse you of being small-minded and bigoted and needing God as a crutch, they will see your good deeds. They'll see the way you love. And they'll glorify God on the day he visits us. And on the heels of saying that, he then says this, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or we might say to the the United States government, or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will. Remember, we want to know the will of, of our king, right? It's God's will that by doing good, we should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Now that is a really hard word, slaves. It's one that we've tried to expunge from our, how our country operates. It's one that unfortunately is a black eye on what has come before. But as Christ followers, we have willingly acknowledged, Jesus, you're my Lord. I want to do your will. I want to represent your heart. And at least these two passages we've looked at suggest to me that when it comes to us being the church in a place that doesn't necessarily always bend a knee to Jesus Christ, when we sit under the authority of those that we may not have elected, personally we may not have voted for, but they still find themselves in that role, we have an obligation to submit to them. Not because they're always right, not because we always agree with them, but because we are doing so as unto the Lord, because we are his representatives. And I want to tell you that I recognize how messy this season is. I recognize that we're getting dueling statements from our president and our governor. We're in conversations with our mayor and our city council right now and saying, what does this actually look like? And we should have a lot more understanding on Monday. But I want to tell you that the church, not just Lighthouse, but the church in Costa Mesa is being very intentional with the way we think through our posture because we want to make the most of every opportunity. And I want to share with you some of what that looks like. And so now I'm going to invite my friend Ian Stevenson, who is the head of Trellis. Trellis is a ministry that's kind of grown up here in Costa Mesa. He's the head of Trellis, but you're also right now working with the city as the point person for the conversation of what does it look like for the churches to reopen. So Ian, I'm really, really glad that you're here with us today. It's a privilege to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Of course. Um, Now, I first met you almost 10 years ago. It was actually here on this campus over in our conference room. It was the first day that I was actually on the job as the associate pastor here. And I'm walking down to my ho- the hallway to my office, and there, I, I look in our conference room, and you're sitting there with three or four other people around this table praying. And I'm like, you know what, I could go eat lunch in my office, or I could go and hang with these people. And so I just said, you know, I want to go hang with them. And I met you, and, and that was a group of people who had been praying for uh, 
the church in our city for, for years. Yeah. Uh, and that really was the forerunner of what Trellis is. Would you share a little bit about what you were praying for? Yeah, well, that group uh, emerged. You know, there was a pastor in the city that had felt the need for the churches to be praying together. So he started that group, you know, some 15 years mm -hmm. prior to that. And um, so a kind of a core of us, the group had swelled and shrunk, but a core of us had stayed together all those years and continued to pray. And really, I think what drove us to pray, and there's a lot of levels to that question, but totally. the, the root level is really Jesus' prayer mm -hmm. in John 17. When the, one of the only times we hear Jesus really pouring his heart out before the Father, and he prayed in John 17, 23, Father, help them to experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you love them. Mm -hmm as you love me. And that, I think that's really the root of why we were praying, because we knew that in order to see God really work in our city, we needed to experience more unity. We needed to come together and ask him to work in our city. So we were praying for the homeless. We were praying for our schools. We were praying for our neighborhoods. We were praying for our city leaders. We were praying for God to work in our city. And, um, and it's, it's just been amazing to see what he's done uh, through all of that. Yeah, now we've, we've had the, the pleasure of getting to watch Trellis grow up in Costa Mesa, getting to see how God has expanded the favor, not only of Trellis, but I, I understand the, your heart for what Trellis is, is that you would simply be that structure that promotes growth in our city, promotes the, the growth of the church unifying together to love our neighbors, promotes the, in, in kind of the, confluence of our city workers and the church and businesses all coming together to say, hey, here are the issues that we're facing. Let's face them together because we're always better together. This is a unique situation, this season that we find ourselves in. We're like two and a half months now into can't use our church buildings. Um, some people would say the church is closed, but we know that that's never true because we're the church. You can't close us. Um, how have you seen this season playing into our ability as the church and Trellis's ability as kind of a, a, an outgrowth of the church to love our city and to, to kind of nurture unity? Has it helped or has it hindered? Uh, I think it's been amazing what's happened because, you know, Trellis really, th there's three kinds of challenges in our city. There's mm -hmm. spiritual challenges, relational challenges, and practical challenges. Yeah. And Trellis is simply trying to create a structure to try to help us collectively influence those challenges. Mm -hmm. So relationally, we've been bringing pastors together, leaders together. Spiritually, we've been praying, thinking about evangelism in the city. Practically, there's been all kinds of things. So we've created this structure that's allowed people to come together. It's kind of like we were building a dance floor. And when COVID-19 hit, it was like we didn't have to force people to get onto the dance floor. Mm. They just started jumping on. People wanted to pray more together. Mm. People wanted to be more in relationship. People wanted to work practically together. It was like the dance floor all of a sudden came to life. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we've seen that manifested in many different specific ways. But essentially, that's what we saw happen. Now, I remember last week, and I love that analogy, and I'm just thinking, like, what one of those songs that they play at a wedding where everybody gets up out of their seats and comes rushing? Yeah, yeah. The dance floor was always there. The DJ was playing, and you have, been, you have been playing the music, and the churches have been trying to get stuff going. There's been some really beautiful things over the last 10 years. I don't want to, yeah. to minimize that at all. 
But I can't help but feel like it's for such a time as this that God called us um, and called you into this role of leading this movement of saying, can we just work together? Um, Now, last week in a video, as we were kind of celebrating some of the fruit that's come out of this season, you acknowledged some of the things that we've seen come out of this time, like Mm -hmm. the the 24-7 prayer for three weeks leading up to Easter and all of the food drives that have happened and lovecostamesa.org, where we are giving boxes of food to some of our our neighbors um, as the church as opposed to just an individual. But when you talk about unity of the church and that being kind of a, a, a declaration to the world that Jesus really came from the Father and he's the head of us. Um, what are some of the other fruits that you've seen that kind of illustrate that unity? Oh my goodness. It's uh, one of my favorite things was right at the beginning, we had 13 different pastors do a five to 10 minute pastor's perspective thing. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that time where we had everyone in the same room and yeah. we started walking this out. That was fun. That was, that was amazing. Um, you know, it used to be before COVID-19 that the pastors would get together like every couple months for a lunch or a city leaders gathering. Now we're connecting every single week on a pastor's check-in call yeah. and having significant conversation and there's connections that are being made. And then from that, uh, we're not even having to initiate things. Pastors are just figuring out how to do things together anyway, like the Enough for All Fund. Yeah. Um, that they just happened. Yeah. You know, so now over $400,000 has gone out to over, um, over, I think it's 500. over 500 families yeah. now. I mean, it's just amazing how people have jumped on the dance floor, started working together. And not only that, but now we have a call every week for the leaders of nonprofits. So um, Bill Nelson, who's helping lead your worship, he's mm-hmm. part of that call with others. And we're connecting the nonprofit leaders a little bit more as well. And so we're just excited to see um, God continue to knit people together mm-hmm. in spirit, in relationship, and as a result, see more practical impact. Yeah, it is. I, I have just been overwhelmed with because my heart really is for the unity of the church in Costa Mesa. That's something that early on, that's why I was so drawn to that prayer gathering and why I kept coming back every, every time that you guys gathered, there I was. Because I have such a heart to see the church working together. Now, I'm not saying we all have to think and act and worship exactly the same way or we all have to do the same message. I want us to be unified, not uniform. Yeah. Um, and, and so even in that, it's really fun to see how each of our different strengths are coming to the fore. But for me, the thing that gives me joy is our weekly Wednesday Zoom calls with the pastors coming together where we're just kind of, okay, what are we going to do? What is this looking like? What are you guys doing? It's been really fun to see um, how pastors are, who, who typically have kind of approached things as, this is mine and I've got to kind of protect mine from others or I've got to protect my ideas from others so that we can try to compete. Pastors are going, Here, here's my best ideas. Here's my best take. Here's what I've just shared with my church. You guys are more than welcome to take and use however you see fit. Praying with one another, it, you know, those churches that had the live streaming set up initially said to churches that didn't, come on yeah. over and use ours. Yeah. I know that right now there's a lot of our churches that haven't that have been meeting in schools or or the senior center and mm-hmm. because of all of this they're not going to be able to for quite a while. 
And so even when we get the go-ahead to come into churches, there are some churches that are going, what do we do? And other churches have stepped up and said, hey, we have a building. You know, let's have a conversation. I know I'm having a conversation with one of those churches right now. So it's beautiful to see the generosity that the church in Costa Mesa is having, not just towards our neighbors out there, but towards one another. And that's a testimony of the fact that we are one and Christ really is the head of us. Sometimes we need uh, challenges to shake us up and get us to think differently Mm -hmm. and uh, to pull us together. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame that sometimes we can't just choose into that, totally. you know, uh, and that we need a, stu- a spoon stuck in the pot yeah. to stir us up. Totally. Um, but in some ways, that's what's happening right now. And I just hope that we can continue to be responsive to the Holy Spirit in the midst of that and really keep, keep working better together. My wife always tells my kids, attitude is the difference between an ordeal and an adventure. Uh, at first, I think a lot of us were like, oh my goodness. But the attitude, at least for the pastors that I'm interacting with, is this is a little overwhelming and we certainly don't know what tomorrow holds. Uh, but this is so exciting to see what God is doing. Yeah. Um, and regardless of what happens, regardless of when, and I look f- so forward to being able to come back in and gather together as church family, I pray we don't just go back to how it was. Yeah, and you know, you were talking a minute ago about unity mm-hmm. and it's not uniformity. Yeah. And, and just that whole idea of what does it really look like to be a team? It's a very complicated thing because each team, you're a team member mm-hmm. and you have your strengths and your abilities and your things that you bring to a team, which can be very different than another team member. Yeah. So creating a, an effective unified team with all these different, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It, it's something that absolutely requires the right spirit, mm-hmm. the right attitude, the right approach yeah. in order to accomplish. And so my prayer is that that continues to build, yeah. you know, as we continue moving through this. So I know that you are not only focused on helping bring the church together, but really those in leadership, whether they be business leaders or our city leaders, and one of your hearts is to see the church come alongside those other two strands so that we can work better together um, as a testimony of our love for Jesus Christ and our love for our neighbors. How have you seen that progressing? It's progressing for sure because of the posture the church is taking. Um, I really feel like the church should be leading the way in pulling people together. The city shouldn't be leading the way in pulling people together. Businesses shouldn't be. The church should be leading the way in pulling people in our community together. And when we have the right attitude and the willingness to do that and to work together with them, then it gives us that opportunity to be a witness, to have a testimony, to to be a part of that collaborative work. Uh, Understand their hearts. Understand where they're coming from. Understand their tensions and the things they're battling with mm-hmm. in the midst of working together. Yeah. And so that's, that's sort of the, the posture we've been trying to take. How, what have you been seeing? What does that look like for the church to come alongside those other strands right now? Well, you know, the, the mayor invited, um, basically invited the church to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, asked me to kind of represent the, the faith communities in our city and pull, pull representation together to help come up with the best way to reopen the city. 
So in doing that, you know, it's, it's been very evident that the heart of our city leadership is they, they're like the verses you just read mm -hmm. <laughs> in, in Romans, you know, they're really trying to honor their authorities, yeah. the governor's office, the county, the governor's office. Yeah. And they don't necessarily agree with everything there, but they're under authority yep. and they're trying to do their best. They're trying to make sure that the city financially is able to get as much assistance as possible mm -hmm. from the county, from the governor, so that we can continue to be sustainable. Um, and so to do that, they have to comply. So they're, they're, they're just trying to, everyone's trying to obey who, who's over them at some level. And it's not easy. Mm -mm. Everyone feels that tension. Mm -hmm. um, and so they've invited us into the discussion to kind of hear that hierarchy of rules and orders and ordinances that are in place. And the dance that's taking place because everybody's yeah. trying to figure this out right now. And then how do we just put together a game plan that's helpful for all of our faith communities as they're considering the reopening process. Yeah, and we've been doing that right now. We've been working for the last several weeks on putting together a game plan for, we're currently in stage two, and so that means that we're still, as of right now, right. shelter in place for the most part in Costa Mesa, although in stage two, some extra things are open. Stage three, at least at this moment, it could all change on Monday when Governor Newsom speaks again, but stage three, now we can begin using the space again with proper safety protocols in place. And that's really important. Yeah. Um, yeah, just like everything that's opening right now, as businesses open, as nonprofits open, as restaurants, everything, they're, they're having to put in place protocols yeah. in order to keep the virus from spreading. And to keep, they're tracking very diligently numbers of hospitalizations, deaths, mm -hmm. everything. So they're watching the curve, so to speak, and they're trying to, when they reopen, do it in such a way that it keeps those numbers down. Yeah. So let me ask you a question about posture. As somebody who knows churches, who knows our city, um, what would it cost us, the church, in our relationship with the city and our neighbors, if we were to say, you know what, we have a right to meet. Our president told us, we know it, it's in the First Amendment, dagnabbit, we're going to meet, we're going to gather anyway. What would that cost us? I think it would, it would really cost us a lot of respect and relational collateral. Um, because no one's telling us not to worship. That, that's not the point here. The, the, the point they're really asking is safety yeah. and trying to, you know, monitor this in an effective way. They're not saying don't worship. Mm -hmm. That's a whole different thing. Um, but they're saying, let's just do it wisely. Let's open up in an appropriate manner so that there's as much safety in place. So if the church just says, well, forget that. We're going to do what we want to do because we have this right, um, then it just kind of breeds some immaturity mm -hmm. to the general populace and particularly to our leaders mm -hmm. who are trying to live in compliance so that funding continues to flow and all of that. So it's, uh, we, we would really lose face. Yeah. We really would. Yeah, I was thinking how I know for a fact there would be a, quite a few, not everybody, because it, it was really interesting. We took a, a survey this week and about half of you said, I'm ready to come back as soon as we can. And the other half of you said, 
it's going to be a little bit, and I would definitely want to make sure there's a lot of, mm-hmm. of, you know, protective measures that are put in place. And it may even be several weeks before I'm w- ready to come back, even if everybody else is gathering. Um, and then there was another part where people are saying, I'd like to meet in the large gathering. I'm cool to wear a face mask and all that. And, and another half that are saying, you know, I'd rather meet in smaller groups prior to. And so there's not even agreement within our own church. But <laughs> all that to say, yeah. if we were to say we're going to meet anyway because it's our right, that would make a, a, a large pe- a percentage of people in our church happy but just about every single one of those people is already saved, already believes in Jesus Christ. We don't mm-hmm. have to try to convince them of the gospel. But what would it say to those who yeah. are not saved, who exactly. are right outside our door, who are watching us flaunt the parameters that have been put down by our, the government, both yeah. locally and, and statewide? What would it say to our neighbors right across the street if they looked at our, our parking lot and it was full of people and they knew that the people weren't gathering in their cars. They were inside. That says something to them. And I don't think, I, I don't like what it says to them. Because that begins to turn off the very people that we have been working so diligently to reflect the heart of Christ and move towards. Yeah, it's, it's really something because we've made the gathering on Sunday mm-hmm. such a big deal for being church. Yeah. And there's so many other ways we can worship and we can be the church without having a big gathering. But for some reason, this gathering thing has become such a, such an important piece to us Mm -hmm. that, you know, it, it it could really get in the way of our testimony, to your point, you know, and what other people think. Right. And so I've been thinking a little bit about, uh, what would it look like if we were to come back? And let's just say for a moment that on Monday or Tuesday, our governor says, you can meet. Everything is fine. All parameters, except for all of the proper protocol in order to protect people, is kind of reinforced. So we, we come back in here next Sunday on Pentecost Sunday. All of us are wearing face masks because we need to be wearing face masks when we're around other people. We only have about a third of the chairs in here, and they're all spaced six feet apart because you have to have proper social distancing. When we're worshiping, you got to keep your face mask on because that's when we're spitting. We all know we spit during worship. Um, you've, even you, Mark, yes, you too spit during worship. Um, we, would have to, we would have to forego hugging. And, and I'm sorry, guys, we're a hugging church. I, I would have to have Jeannie Massengill be the hugging monitor. She'd be walking around with a ruler slapping you when you get too close. I'm sorry, but that feels so unbelievably dystopian to me. That feels, that doesn't feel worshipful. That feels sorrowful. And I remember there's this moment um, when, the, when the church was beginning to lay the foundation for the second temple after the first temple had been destroyed. And the young are celebrating, but those who are old who remember the old temple were weeping. Because they remember what it used to be like. And I go, man, I, I know that it's going to feel like that. In fact, we've talked to pastors who have opened in other states who have said just that. They thought it was going to be this celebratory thing. And instead, it was such a letdown because it was so different than what they had anticipated. It felt like there was so much distance. And so one of the pastors that we've been talking to, is, I thought it was one of the most insightful things I've heard on this whole conversation. He said, listen. 
we want to meet, and I will tell you, I want to meet, but we don't want to gather in the large gathering until the worship experience we can have in this box surpasses the worship experience you can have in your home or surpasses the worship experience we can have in small groups of 10 to 15, like life groups or house churches. Until what we can offer here is better than that, then it's not worth potentially exposing our congregation. It's not worth the, the damage to our relationships with our neighbors, or at least what we, it would declare to them. It's not worth pushing against the leadership of our city and our state. It's just not worth it. And I am in complete agreement, especially because we'd have to have our kids in the service because kids don't, uh, you know, social distance well. So they're going to be worshiping with us. I'm sorry, I can attest to you as a parent of an 8 and 11 year old, that won't be mellow for anybody. That won't be holy at all. So right now, the best thing that we have to offer is our live streaming where we can worship in our own homes. But that's, I'm not content with that. And what I'm really hoping for, and what even in our phone call with, or our Zoom call with the mayor yesterday, what we, as the church in Costa Mesa, as we've been putting together the guidelines of what it'll look like when we're coming back together and the things to keep people safe. But also, what we need to do in order to get the go-ahead from our city to say, yes, you guys can start meeting what we are proposing to them and what we're hoping we'll be able to do sooner than later is that we would begin to gather in small house groups. So that would look like a couple of families coming together and doing church together or a life group coming together, not just during the week, but on a Sunday, breaking bread together, socially distanced from one another, but close enough that you can have a conversation with them. And and I can't help but feel like that sounds a whole lot like the early church. And how do you do that, too? Just even inviting, ultimately, as things loosen up a little bit more, invite your neighbors mm-hmm. in, invite, mm-hmm. invite other people in, totally. you know? Yeah, what, what better way to be the church and welcome people in than don't say, come to the church building, but rather come to my house. Come and, come and have lunch, and we're going to watch the live stream together, and we're going to worship together. How much more personal would that be? And, and I think about the early church. Other than in Jerusalem, where you had kind of a larger gathering, the early church was made up of house churches, 10 to 15 people, gathering around a table, breaking bread. The epistles that we, all the letters of the New Testament, they were written to house churches. They were intended to be passed from house church to house, house church. And so they'd sit down and the people in the region of Ephesus would read the letter to the Ephesian churches. And as they're having a meal, they talk about it. What does that mean? We can experience that in a way that, while we encourage life groups, it's never been our our primary way of doing it. And for a season, what I hope will happen Mm -hmm. is that we would have the opportunity to experience what the early church experienced, that kind of intimacy and camaraderie and togetherness that's way more intimate and personal than what we will experience for a season here in our church. Mm -hmm. And so that's what... I have been kind of encouraging, and I know other pastors are hoping for that, and, and, and we're kind of presenting it to our city going, we'd yeah. like to move forward in this way. Yeah, you know, I, I heard an analogy um, about, like, if you ever want to learn how to play chess, the best way to learn how to play chess is you take the queen off the board, and then you play chess. Hmm. 
and you get really good at playing chess that way. Then when you put the queen back on the board, you can take anybody out. And for decades now, Sunday morning gatherings have been the queen. And she's been what we've relied on. And she's been the most important piece on the board. But if we can take this time and learn how to be Christ followers, learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit, learn how to impact our community without the queen, without the weekend gathering, then when the queen is put back in place, look out. Like, we'll be ready to play. We'll be ready because other strategies, Mm -hmm. other ways of making impact will have become so much more powerful than they were before. And we have to be careful that we just don't keep craving for that queen to be put back on the board too soon. Craving to go back to what it was like. Right. I hope, I hope we don't, that we, the, we Lighthouse community, but we, the church in Costa Mesa, don't go back to what it was before because we were pretty autonomous. We were working at building our own little kingdoms as opposed to recognizing that we are the kingdom of God. And yeah. together we reflect the heart of God so much better. Well, let's be honest. that It's hard not to have the queen on the board. It like, it, it's hard because you feel like you're losing. <laughs> it's, it's hard to win without the queen, right? And, and, and I, I think that's what a lot of pastors, a lot of churches are feeling. Um, but if we can encourage each other, through this season, if we can come up with new strategies, new ways, groups, you know, yep. how we can do. And, and as this thing starts unwinding and there's maybe different size of groupings, mm-hmm. how do we leverage those size of groupings to continue to be the church in a more effective way? Absolutely. You know, that, that's what's going to make us better. Well, you, yeah. you were aware of like earlier last year, we went through a whole process called the missional pathway. And the beginning of this year, we rolled out our vision for our church with that we would be a church that is intentional about equipping our people to go out and be the church, um, being intentional about reflecting the heart of God into their sphere of influence. This has forced us to do that. And we're doing it better than we ever have before because the queen's been taken off the board and we've had to learn to develop these new muscles of just being interruptible. Of, of how do I reach my next door neighbor? Mm-hmm. Um, and so let me just remind you of a few things. The first thing that is that we um, are not going to take the posture of it's our rights and we're going to do what we're going to do. Our posture is very much in submitting to our Father God, listening to his direction, and seeking to be the very best witness to our neighbor's by loving them, by coming alongside of them, and by trying to work towards what is best for our whole city, not just for us in this moment. Secondly, the church has never been closed. We're not closed now. The box might be, but we are as open and effective as we have ever been, if, if not more so. And I'll just say this. Mm-hmm. Those of you who can't wait to get back in the box, let me just also tell you, we're not ready for you to come back into the box because we have used this opportunity to start doing some of the deep infrastructure stuff that we need to do to prepare this box for our gathering for the next 50 years of ministry. We have wires everywhere. I've got three ladders right over there. Um, There's stuff taken off the walls and wires lying everywhere because we're in the process 
of upgrading a 70-year-old church. And I can't wait to show you what's been happening, but you're going to have to wait. That's going to be a really fun surprise. And I, you know, I'm, I'm tempted to like grab the camera and kind of show you everything, but that's just going to be something you get to look forward to. So even this box is not just laying unused. It is being prepared for another season. Um, and, and this season has forced us to go live stream. And let me just tell you something that kind of amazes me, because we're a church of, I would say, on any given weekend, we're a church of about 200 adults, or at least that's what it was. But last week's message, over 950 people, or at least 950 individual IP addresses streamed last week's message. We couldn't possibly fit that many people in our building in three services, let alone one. So... Mm-hmm. The church hasn't not been operating. It is going great guns. And I'm excited to see what that will mean when we do start gathering back. The, the, another thing that I want to remind us of is that the choices we make are going to be in a posture of humility and gentleness and intentionality with our witness. We don't want to make the choices that simply benefit ourselves. We want to make choices that help cultivate our witness in this community, even if that means waiting. Our waiting is an act of service, then we will wait. And our, we will continue to work with our city leaders, with our mayor, with our city council to work out the best ways to proceed. They want us to meet. They're really working hard for us. And I would just say pray for them. They're in a really tough situation where they're being told stuff from up on high and Mm -hmm. then they're being told from their constituents and they're in the middle and we kind of find ourselves in a similar situation where you guys are pushing one way or the other and, you know, all of you have differing perspectives of exactly how that plays out. When I sent out on Friday the, the email about this, I got about 10 emails back very quickly, seven or eight of them saying, wait. Please wait. Don't rush back. I'm a nurse, and I'm telling you, it's not a good idea just to rush back in. And a couple of you going, we need to open now. So we can't even agree within ourselves. (laughs) May we be gracious. Mm -hmm. May we be humble. Maybe we be willing to submit what we want for what is best. And I want you to know that the elders and myself are prayerfully grappling with this. The pastors in Costa Mesa are weekly grappling with this. We are grappling with this with our, our, our leadership. And so the final posture that I would encourage us to have is simply that we would be flexible. As, as one of my mentors always used to say, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. We have no idea what tomorrow holds. We have no idea what our governor is going to say. We have no idea what freedoms and what parameters we're going to find ourselves with. So may we just hold everything loosely, trust Jesus, and make the most of every opportunity. Anything that you would want to add in? Uh, I just, I would just encourage you all, you know, you've got a great leader here in Eric who's really trying to listen to what's going on in the city. He's trying to listen to you all, and um, he's having to make hard decisions as well. Uh, This isn't easy for your pastor's as they're navigating all this too. So I would just encourage you, Lighthouse Church, you know, support your pastors, and encourage and pray for them, uh, row with them, and uh, certainly give them things to think about, but, but just stay in the boat mm-hmm. and figure out how you can play as well as you possibly can without the queen. Um, because at the end of the day, it's going to make you better. 
So I really appreciate the opportunity to share, Eric, and um, thanks for for all that you're doing in our city. Would you pray for us? I'd love to. Yeah, absolutely. God, thank you so much for who you are. That God, even though our circumstances change, you are always the same. You're there for us. You're faithful. You love us. You, You care for us. You comfort us, Lord, through whatever we're going through. And God, I pray that you would just be with your church as she navigates these circumstances, these muddy waters. And God, specifically be with Lighthouse Community Church. Lord, thank you for all the precious people who are part of this congregation. And God, I pray for your blessing on each one of them. Lord, I pray for your protection, protect their health, protect their family dynamics. God, I pray that in this time their families would grow stronger, their love for each other, their love for you would grow stronger, that God, they would be an incredible testimony to their neighbors, their friends, their family, that God, you'd use them in their spheres of influence to help more people see what it's like to really walk and follow Jesus. God, thank you for uh, the sacrifices that have been made to show and share your love through this church. God, thank you for this Memorial Day weekend where we celebrate the sacrifices that were made for our country. And God, thank you most of all for the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. God, where he set aside his rights. He set aside all that he was entitled to in order to lay down his life for us. And so God, we're grateful to remember that on this Memorial Day weekend more than anything else. And we pray, God, just that you'd continue to work through Lighthouse, in this city, in our state, throughout our nation. God, we need you. We need you more than ever. So, God, help us to submit to you in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ian. Let's go ahead and worship together. You know, right about now, we would be inviting you to stand if you were able um, to raise your hands, close your eyes. So let's imagine that we're here together, that we're lifting our hands, kneeling if you want to, closing your eyes. Um, We are doing it together, even though we're not physically in the same place. So let's go ahead and sing this song together.
I love you guys very, very much. And I look forward to the day that we get to be back in here together. I would just encourage you to pray. Pray with us. Pray for the decisions that we're making. As an elder board and pastors, as the pastors of Costa Mesa, for Ian and the trellis team that are working so hard with our city, for our city managers, for our mayor, for our governor, in everything, may we be the kind of people who represent the heart of our Father. And one day, hopefully pretty soon, we're going to be able to be back in here together celebrating. But I hope, my prayer is there will be a whole lot more people that will, whether it's here or elsewhere, that will be worshiping with us in the kingdom of God. Because let's not remember, we have all eternity to worship together, to be together, to be family together. There's one thing we can't do when we're with God. And that is ultimately that we can't invite others to worship him as well. But we can do that now. So let's be wise. Would you just pray one last time with me? Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you are still on the throne. I thank you that you are using your church to reflect your heart into this world. We recognize we don't do it perfectly and we pray for wisdom in the ways that we're not. We want to get out of the way so that you're glorified and so that others come to be attracted to you, that they would come to find the reasons for the hope that we have. Would you give us the eyes to recognize the opportunities all around us? Would you help us to be interruptible? Would you prompt us to pray or to reach out to neighbors or even people in our church community we haven't seen in a bit? And God, we pray for favor. We pray that you would give us the opportunity to begin to gather in groups of 10 to 15 very soon so that we can start being together because we miss just being in one another's presence and getting to see one another's face. We're a little tired of Zoom. Pray these things, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. I'll see you soon. And, and by the way, I will let you know any updates that I get. As things are coming out, I'm going to let you know. So be looking for those emails. Have a wonderful week.